European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance. Volume 43, Issue 33. Focus Issue, Ischemic Heart Disease. By Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. Non-invasive diagnosis, antithrombotic treatment, and invasive management of ischemic heart disease. This focus issue on ischemic heart disease contains the fast-track clinical research article entitled Duration of Antiplatelet Therapy After Complex Percutaneous Coronary Intervention in Patients at High Bleeding Risk, a Master DAP Trial Sub-Analysis by Marco Vergimili and colleagues from the Università della Svizzera Italiana in Switzerland. The duration of dual antiplatelet therapy, or DAPT, after percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI, is widely debated. The master DAPT trial assessed the effects of one or greater than or equal to three-month dual DAPT in high-bleeding risk, or HBR, patients who received biodegradable polymer serolimus-eluting stents. In this pre-specified analysis, the authors assessed the consistency of the treatment effects of one month versus a more prolonged DAP duration based on PCI and patient complexity, i.e. complex PCI and or acute coronary syndrome. In the master DAP trial, 3,383 patients underwent non-complex PCI, abbreviated DAPT, N equaling 1,707, standard DAPT, N equaling 1,676, and 1,196 complex PCI, abbreviated DAPT, N equaling 588, standard DAPT, N equaling 608. Co-primary outcomes at 335 days were Net Adverse Clinical Events, or NACE, being composite of all-cause death, myocardial infarction, or MI, stroke, and Bleeding Academic Research Consortium, or BARC, three or five bleeding events. Major adverse cardiac or cerebral events, or MACE, all-cause death, MI and stroke, and type 2, 3 or 5 bark bleeding. NACE and MACE did not differ with abbreviated versus standard DAPT among patients with complex hazard ratio or HR 1.03 and HR 1.24 respectively, and non-complex PCI, HR 0.90 and HR 0.91, for interaction equaling 0.60 and 0.26 respectively. BARC 2, 3 or 5 was significantly reduced with abbreviated DAPT in patients with and without complex PCI, HR 0.64 and HR 0.70, for interaction equaling 0.72. The authors conclude that in HBR patients free from recurrent ischemic events at one month, DAPT discontinuation is associated with similar NACE and MACE and lower bleeding rates compared with standard DAPT, regardless of PCI or patient complexity. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Louis Ortega Paz and Dominic Angiolillo from the University of Florida in the USA. The authors conclude that ultimately, the most important take-home message is how we can implement these results into clinical practice. As the authors acknowledge, there is no formal definition for complex PCI. Moreover, it should be highlighted that instead of focusing on the complexity of the procedure, the complex high-risk and indicated PCI, or CHIP, concept is broader 
and encompasses multiple factors, including patient, lesion, procedure, and hemodynamic characteristics. Therefore, compared with the population analyzed in this MasterDAPT sub-study, the CHIP population in clinical practice may be broader and at higher risk of bleeding, ischemic, and procedure-related complications. Moreover, the HBR population is heterogeneous, ranging from patients with low to high ischemic risk. Accordingly, implementing a trade-off model to help select patients who may benefit the most from an abbreviated DAPT regimen, i.e. maximum bleeding reduction without an increase in ischemic risk, may be useful for clinicians in the decision-making process. Non-invasive imaging plays an important role in diagnostic assessment of patients with ischemic heart disease. The diagnostic performance of non-invasive imaging in patients with prior coronary artery disease, or CAD, has not been tested in prospective head-to-head comparative studies. In a clinical research article entitled Functional Stress Imaging to Predict Abnormal Coronary Fractional Flow Reserve, Pacific 2 study, Raoul Driesen and colleagues from the Amsterdam UMC in the Netherlands compared the diagnostic performance of qualitative single-photon emission computed tomography, or SPECT, quantitative positron emission tomography, or PET, and qualitative magnetic resonance imaging, or MRI, in patients with a prior MI or PCI. In this prospective clinical study, all patients with prior MI and or PCI and new symptoms of ischemic CAD underwent technetium tetraphosmin SPECT, 15O-H2O PET, and MRI, followed by invasive coronary angiography with fractional flow reserve, or FFR, in all coronary arteries. All modalities were interpreted by core laboratories. Hemodynamically significant CAD was defined by at least one coronary artery with an FFR less than or equal to 0.80. Among the 189 enrolled patients, 63% had significant CAD. Sensitivity was 67% for SPECT, 81% for PET, and 66% for MRI. Specificity was 61% for SPECT, 65% for PET, and 62% for MRI. Sensitivity of PET was higher than that of SPECT, P equaling 0.016, and MRI, P equaling 0.014, whereas specificity did not differ among the modalities. Overall, PET had a numerically higher diagnostic accuracy, 75%, than SPECT, 65%, P equaling 0.03, and MRI, 64%, P equaling 0.052, and a significantly higher area under the receiver operating characteristic curve, or AUC, 0.80, than SPECT, 0.66, P equaling 0.001, and MRI, 0.67, P equaling 0.001. SPECT and MRI showed similar diagnostic performance measures and no significant differences were found between these modalities. Driesen et al. conclude that in this prospective head-to-head comparative study, SPECT, PET and MRI did not show a clinically relevant different accuracy for diagnosing FFR-defined significant CAD in patients with prior PCI and or MI. Overall, diagnostic performances, however, were discouraging, 
and the additive value of non-invasive imaging in this high-risk population is questionable. The article is accompanied by an editorial by Patrizio Lancelotti and Alan Nicimi from the University of Liège Hospital in Belgium and Yang Yang Go from the National Heart Institute in Singapore. The editorialists conclude that the authors of the Pacific II study should be commended for adding an important, well-thought-out and eloquent piece of literature to the field of multimodality stress testing. Because of the conceptual and technical limitations of comparing stress testing with invasive FFR or vice versa, their study results were somewhat negative in the sense that non-invasive stress perfusion tests failed to accurately predict FFR-defined hemodynamically significant CAD in patients with prior MI stroke PCI. The bigger picture nevertheless suggests that none of the coronary physiological testing methods surpasses the others. We should thus work towards creating an inclusive environment that encourages integration, collaboration and open communication between imagers, interventionalists and the ordering physicians. Oxygen pulse morphology and gas exchange analysis measured during cardiopulmonary exercise testing, or CPET, have been associated with myocardial ischemia. In a clinical research article entitled Cardiopulmonary Exercise Testing and Efficacy of Percutaneous Coronary Intervention, a sub-study of the Orbiter Trial, Sashianathan Ganesanathan and colleagues from the Imperial College London in the United Kingdom examined the relationship between CPET parameters, myocardial ischemia, and anginal symptoms in patients with chronic coronary syndrome, and to determine the ability of these parameters to predict the placebo control response to PCI. Patients with severe single-vessel CAD were randomized one-to-one -to, -one to PCI or placebo in the Orbiter trial. Subjects underwent pre-randomization treadmill CPET, dibutamine stress echocardiography, or DSE, and symptom assessment. These assessments were repeated at the end of a six-week blinded follow-up period. A total of 195 patients with CPET data were randomized, 102 PCI, 93 placebo. Patients in whom an oxygen pulse plateau was observed during CPET had a higher, more ischemic, DSE score, P equaling 0.0068, and lower FFR, P equaling 0.011, compared with those without. Impaired peak VO2, VE stroke VCO2 slope, peak oxygen pulse, and oxygen uptake efficacy slope were significantly associated with higher symptom burden, but did not relate to severity of ischemia or predict response to PCI. The authors conclude that although selected CPET parameters relate to severity of angina symptoms and quality of life, only an oxygen pulse plateau detects the severity of myocardial ischemia and predicts the placebo-controlled efficacy of PCI in patients with single-vessel CAD. This contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Alessandra Spirito, David Cao and Roxana Mehran from the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York, USA. The authors highlight that the oxygen pulse, calculated by dividing oxygen uptake by heart rate, is a surrogate of stroke volume, and an impairment increment of this parameter during exercise, i.e. oxygen pulse plateau, has been related to the inability of the myocardium to increase the stroke volume.
They conclude that the Orbiter substudy by Ganazanathan and colleagues confirms that a certain degree of myocardial ischemia is required to establish the indication of revascularization versus conservative management in symptomatic patients with obstructive CAD and left ventricular ejection fraction, or LVEF, greater than or equal to 35%. CPET might be a valuable tool to detect myocardial ischemia and predict angina relief after PCI in this setting, but further evidence is needed to understand its value compared with other functional testing, and which CPET parameters should be evaluated. The optimal timing of an invasive strategy in non-ST elevation acute coronary syndrome, or NSTE-ACS, is controversial. In a meta-analysis entitled Timing of Invasive Strategy in Non-ST Elevation Acute Coronary Syndrome, a meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials, Thomas Kite and colleagues from the University of Leicester and University Hospitals of Leicester NHS Trust in the United Kingdom performed a systematic review and meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials, or RCTs, that compared an early invasive strategy versus a delayed invasive strategy for NSTE-ACS. A meta-analysis was performed by pooling relative risks, or RRs, using a random effects model. The primary outcome was all-cause mortality. Secondary outcomes included MI, recurrent ischemia, Admission for heart failure, or HF, repeat revascularization, major bleeding, stroke, and length of hospital stay. 17 RCTs with outcome data from 10,209 patients were included. No significant differences in all-cause mortality, RR 0.90, MI, RR 0.86, admission for HF, RR 0.66, repeat revascularization, RR 1.04, major bleeding, RR 0.86, or stroke, RR 0.95, were observed. Recurrent ischemia, RR 0.57, and length of stay, median difference minus 22 hours, were significantly reduced with an early invasive strategy. The authors conclude that in all comers with NSTE-ACS, an early invasive strategy does not reduce all-cause mortality, MI, admission for HF or repeat revascularization, or increase major bleeding or stroke when compared with a delayed invasive strategy. Risk of recurrent ischemia and length of stay are significantly reduced with an early invasive strategy. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Paul Goudinet and Jean-Philippe Collet from the Sorbonne University in Paris, France, and Holger Thieler from the Heart Center Leipzig at the University of Leipzig and the Leipzig Heart Institute in Germany. The authors conclude that in the light of this interesting study-level meta-analysis, a dedicated RCT comparing an early with a delayed invasive strategy only in high-risk NSTEMI patients, or at least an updated patient-level meta-analysis, remain warranted to better identify which patients, if any, may benefit from early invasive management in the setting of NSTE-ACS and to fill the void left by the early termination of the rapid NSTEMI trial. While a lot has been published on the epidemiology, 
pathogenesis and treatment of severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2, or SARS-CoV-2, the effect of the COVID-19 pandemic on care and outcomes across non-COVID-19 cardiovascular, or CV, diseases is unknown. In a meta-analysis entitled The Collateral Damage of COVID-19 to Cardiovascular Services, a meta-analysis. Ramesh Nadaraja and colleagues from the University of Leeds in the United Kingdom performed a systematic review and meta-analysis to quantify the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on care and outcomes, investigating for variation by CV disease, geographic region, country income and the time course of the pandemic. From January 2019 to December 2021, Medline and Embase databases were searched for observational studies comparing a pandemic and pre-pandemic period in relation to CV disease hospitalizations, diagnostic and interventional procedures, outpatient consultations and mortality. The study was registered with Prospero. CRD 420-212-65930. A total of 158 studies covering 49 countries and 6 continents were used for quantitative synthesis. Most studies, 80%, reported information for high-income countries, or HICs. Across all CV diseases and geographies, there were fewer hospitalizations, diagnostic and interventional procedures and outpatient consultations during the pandemic. By meta-regression, in low-middle-income countries, or LMICs, compared with HICs, the decline in ST-segment elevation myocardial infarction, or STEMI, hospitalizations, RR 0.79, and revascularization, RR 0.73, was significantly more severe. In LMICs, but not in HICs, in-hospital mortality significantly increased for STEMI, RR 1.22, and HF, RR 1.08. The magnitude of decline in hospitalizations for CV diseases did not differ between the first and second wave. The authors conclude that there was substantial global collateral CV damage during the COVID-19 pandemic with disparity in severity by country income classification. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Ankit Bhatt and Muthia Vaduganathan from the Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School, Boston, USA. Bhatt and Vaduganathan conclude that the work by Nadaraja et al. highlights the far-reaching effects of the COVID-19 pandemic extending well beyond those who have contracted the virus itself. As the clinical community grapples with continued surges while trying to forge a new normal, Emerging data suggest that there will be a long-lasting legacy of CV disease in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, with many waves yet to hit the shore. The editors hope that the listeners of this issue of the European Heart Journal will find it of interest.